Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 236 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kozlik. Thanks for joining me for this very special interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time, I'm joined live, in person, and on the ground at Tales of the Cocktail 2022 by Stefan Kopp and Henry Price. Stefan joins us all the way from Switzerland, representing Fassbind Eau de Vie, Switzerland's oldest distillery, and Henry is the founder and CEO of Price Imports, a company that brings some of the world's best distillates and liqueurs stateside so that bartenders and educated consumers like you can enjoy them. This was a really, really fun tasting and fireside chat where Stefan and Henry lead us through a number of aged and unaged fruit brandies from the Fossbind portfolio. Fruit distillates have always had a special place in my heart and on my palate, but I'll be honest, aside from tasting and enjoying them, I never truly understood the science, craft, and tradition that go into making them. Well, in this episode, we fix all that. But before we do, let's take a quick pause so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Moonlight Cocktail. This is a slightly quirky Prohibition-era libation taken from the Savoy Cocktail Book, published in 1930 by the legendary Harry Craddock. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of London Dry Gin, one quarter ounce of Kirschwasser, or unaged, unsweetened cherry eau de vie. Here, of course, I'll recommend Fassbind's Rigi Kirsch. One ounce of white wine, and one to one and a quarter ounces of pink grapefruit juice. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give them a good hard shake, then double strain into a chilled stemmed cocktail glass, garnish with a lemon twist, and enjoy. Probably what I like most about the Moonlight Cocktail is that it fits its description perfectly. This cocktail is pale, not overly sweet, and anyone who's spent time behind a bar will immediately recognize that the real skill required here is going to be moderating the acid profile of this cocktail. There's no real sugar to speak of except for that ounce of white wine, and aside from the mere suggestion of sweetness that you get from the almond notes in the cherry eau de vie. So if I'm thinking about putting together the Moonlight Cocktail in 2022, I'm definitely gonna opt for a gentle white wine, something with a little bit of sweetness, so a Riesling, maybe a Gewürztraminer, perhaps a Semillon, and I'm gonna look for a dry style gin that doesn't completely overpower the other ingredients with juniper. Normally, when we come across Prohibition-era or pre-Prohibition cocktails, the problem is that they skew too sweet for contemporary palates, but the Moonlight Cocktail is a rare opportunity for us to play with a century-old formulation that resides solidly at the opposite end of the spectrum. So, now that you've got a new classic cocktail to add to your repertoire, let's turn our attention back to the interview. 
In this tasting and fireside chat with Stefan Kopp of Fastbind Eau de Vie and Henry Price of Price Imports, some of the topics we discuss include the heritage fruits, sourcing practices, and protected designations of origin that set Swiss brandies and Eau de Vie apart from the other fruit distilling traditions in Europe and elsewhere in the world. The difference between a Wasser and a Geist spirit, particularly as it applies to the types of fruit used and how those fruits are turned into potable, delicious alcohol. The venerable yet poorly understood tradition of adding dosage or bonificatures to aged fruit brandies to impart consistency on the end product, as well as establish a unique proprietary fingerprint on the flavor profile. Why resting eau de vie in stainless steel tanks is an integral part of the production process, not only from a flavor perspective, but also as insurance against the occasional poor harvest. We also discuss the notions of purity versus complexity and seasonality versus consistency in these laser-focused fruit eau de vie and their aged, slightly fortified brethren. Along the way, we explain how to take your cocktail program to the next level using fruit brandies, why Henry thinks a great gumbo and a great eau de vie aren't so different, how to make a perfect cheese flour, and much, much more. If you run a bar program, or if, like me, you're just a curious enthusiast who loves a good fruit brandy, I hope you'll check out Fossbind Eau de Vie to see how you can get your hands on a bottle, and I also hope you'll take a moment to peruse the other amazing spirits that Price Imports has made available here in the U.S. But for now, please enjoy this fascinating tasting and conversation with Stefan Kopp and Henry Price. Thank you all for coming. This is an event brought to you by our friends at Price Imports, first and foremost. And what we're going to be tasting is the portfolio of Fassbind Eau de Vie. And Stefan here is joining us all the way from Switzerland. So we were expecting a slightly larger crowd <laughs> here. So I think at this point, it would be fair to say, uh, if you have a question at any point, please do just pause us, throw up a hand. Uh, I'll repeat it so that we can get it for the uh, the audio here. With that, we'll get started. So my name is Eric Koslick. I'm based in DC. I run the Modern Bar Cart podcast. Uh, we've got over 230 episodes, a lot of interview content with folks like Henry and with, like Stefan who are experts in their field. And I'm just going to be here to kind of guide us through and, and keep us moving through the portfolio. But the real uh, star of the show here is Stefan. So Stefan, would you kick us off by introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here, for allowing us to talk about uh, Fassbinds and uh, Swiss fruit spirits. Uh, my name is Stefan Kopp. I am the export manager for Fassbinds. Also, really the, the person in charge of everything or, or helping with everything that has to be done in the distillery, from uh, packing boxes, cases, filling bottles, whatever is needed, because we're a very small company. Yeah, and so today we have a number of your portfolio items. And uh, Henry, can you introduce yourself and uh, I guess talk about how maybe you first met Stefan or, or were introduced to Fossman and, and their portfolio? Well, that is a bit of an interesting story, a little bit background on us. So we're Price Imports, it's a Price family. Uh, with my daughter. It's a third generation company, family uh, business in the, in the industry. We came to America in 1961 from Germany. My father brought over German products. We sold a little brand in the early days called Jägermeister, things like that. I started in the business 48 years ago. 
in the mid-70s, and uh, we were doing O2Vs already back then. So we, at that point, it was Black Forest O2V. You know, we had a, a brand called uh, Adolf Huber, and it fell apart, and then we picked up a brand called Schlatterer, and Schlatterer was a global brand, really, in that category in those days. Fast forward to the early 80s, I had met the gentleman that was the export director of the company that Stefan now runs called Fussbin and just was blown away with, you know, Schlatter was a fantastic fruit brandy brand. And then I tasted Fussbin and it's sort of, it's like on steroids. It's just a whole different category. And typically, you know, what people know about Swiss watchmaking and the kind of perfection that goes into it, they're just the detail consciousness of uh, Swiss O2V producers is something else. And there aren't a lot of them. This happens to be the oldest company. And along the way, the company that I imported that in, I didn't survive that company. I started another company that was sold. And then this company with my daughter, we started it back in, uh, I think the first full functioning time was October, 2012. And along the way, I wanted to, I wanted an O2V again from Switzerland, and uh, we got in contact with Fassbin, and Stefan came to see me. And the rest is sort of history, and that's why the products are here today. <laughs> so it took took a little while to kind of get them going and get people interested. Uh, it's still a little bit of a category, I think, that's mysterious to people. They don't fully understand it, but once they do, they see how really mm. special these products are. Yes, and... Some of that mystery we're going to embrace <laughs> and some of it we're going to demystify. So there's some terms that we're going to introduce you to that maybe you weren't aware of before and some of the techniques, especially that make uh, this liquid special. Quick logistical note for those of you to join in the tasting. We're going we're to start the tasting and Natalie actually has everything set up over on the island. So if you wouldn't mind maybe just serving yourself if you're close to there, Natalie, if you could just demonstrate the direction that people should be going or kind of facilitate that, then we're going to start off with the View Kirsch, which is the aged cherry mm -hmm. product. Yep. So yep. Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit as, as those get passed out, tell us a little bit about this product and Maybe we start with the unaged product that, that's not with us today. Yeah, yeah, sadly it's not with us. But uh, uh, so that the unaged product is um, actually the Kirsch, the Rigi Kirsch. It's uh, an AOP Rigi Kirsch, so it comes from the region around the Rigi. We picked uh, cherries, and uh, the cherries are brought to us by the farmers in the morning, afternoon, and they are then directly sorted out. That's a very important part. So we hand sort the, the fruit. We then pump it into our fermentation tanks and add yeast, natural yeast to it to start the fermentation. So we have a controlled fermentation, but it's natural. Then it ferments between six to 10 weeks. After the fermentation is finished, we're ready to distill. So we distill in uh, copper pot stills. We distill the fruit with the stones or the pips. We have a catalyzer, which is made out of copper. Actually, it looks like, a bit like uh, a beehive. And the copper acts as a filter for all the bad parts in the alcohol, which would be cyanide and so on, which you can mm. get from the stones. Right. And that's filtered out. So copper is fantastic as it's a natural cleaner of 
the spirit as such. And to wash it, you just have to use uh, really water. And uh, after 10 distillings, you do a big clean with lemon acid and so on. Nice. Yeah. So this is, as we go here, what you're going to notice is especially the next two kind of pairings, the, the pear and the uh, raspberry, you're going to be able to taste the aged and the unaged mm -hmm. expressions yep. here. So we don't have that comparison here, but what can we expect with the, the aged version in terms of the flavors and the aromas that we're going to be picking up? And I guess this is question for, for Henry or, or uh, Stefan. Yeah. What, what, what do you like about this? Yeah, maybe just to finish with the, the clear eau de vie, after it's been distilled, we just use the heart and it's reciprocal then in steel tanks for two years. That's very important. Mm -hmm. And our eau de vies are distilled twice. So we have a real fine, lovely, fruity eau de vie, which is very, very pleasant to enjoy. Yeah, so that's to the clear audio. Sorry. Sure, sure. Well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you stopped me there because you brought up a really interesting point mm. that was one of the first aspects of eau de vie making that really I don't understand, mm -hmm. which is resting the unaged spirit. I think in the American spirits landscape, we're and even in other European traditions, we're very familiar with putting things in barrels. We know that aging something in a barrel is going to impart flavor, it's going to impart texture, but you rest your unaged spirits for two years in stainless steel. Correct. Why do you do that? Yeah, we rest all our fruits, uh, eau de vies, for at least two years uh, in the steel tanks because uh, on one hand we want the alcohol to marry with the aromas. So we want the spirit to really have its time, rest, and join all the aromas together with the alcohol so that you have a, a nice unity. And on the other hand, we, we're working with uh, fresh fruit. So it's like grapes with wine. We have a, a big problem with uh, weather conditions sometimes. So uh, a bad season would be lots of rain at the wrong time, not enough rain, too cold, too warm. This all influences uh, the amount of fruit we can get per year that is picked because uh, we were choosy with our fruit. We don't just take any fruits. Uh, we don't take any fruits which is, has dropped to the floor, so it's all hand-picked. By the way, most of our fruit comes from high-stem trees, which means uh, you have to go up a ladder with a basket and pick it by hand, come down, put the basket into a bigger basket, and so on. So there's lots of manual labor involved in that part. And um, so when we have little fruit, uh, we have to have a balance because we need product. So the two years of minimum resting gives us the balance that we have enough stock to provide our clients with our lovely fruit spirits. Excellent. Well, you know, I think I can add too that, you know, that it is not uncommon to rest really premium white spirits. I mean, you, you get mezcal, you get tequilas. It's ready when it comes off the still, which is really one of the things that a lot of fruit brandy distillers will say, well, my spirit is ready when it comes off the still, but you don't get that full marriage. And I think sometimes the easiest way to understand is like, look at spaghetti. You know, you make spaghetti, you may taste fantastic that night. And the next day it tastes even better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Everything, you know, you look at the Louisiana gumbo. I mean, uh, you don't like make it and then like, immediately eat it. You might, because you're hungry, but the next day it's like a whole different thing, right? And uh, so it, it, it is that marrying, 
that kind of that bringing the molecules together, that mm. kind of married together, and that two years, that's kind of unheard of. And part of the reason you hear a lot of people say it's well, I don't, we don't need that. It's ready when it comes off the still. Well, it's because they don't have the financial wherewithal. Because you can imagine if you wait two years, it's the same reason you've got all these craft distillers that really want to be selling a whiskey, but they're want, wanting you to buy their vodka. Because that's definitely ready when it comes off the still. It's going to go into some cocktail. You're not going to sip it straight. It's not going to be that kind of a big deal. And and so it's all about how fast can I get out there? But this is the oldest fruit brandy. This, this is the oldest distiller in Switzerland. Mm. So they've been around a while and uh, they're not going away. Luckily, the <laughs> people that Stefan works with, uh, when this family came kind of to the end of the road of uh, that there was any family that wanted to take it over, uh, the people that Stefan works with decided we need to step in and preserve this historical company. It's in a little village called Oberat, Switzerland. You know, what about an hour from Zurich? Yeah, approximately an hour from Zurich, yeah. yeah All yeah. right, so if that kind of gives you a picture, it's right on a beautiful lake. Uh, mm -hmm. Between yeah. two lakes, actually, the Lake of Zoo and yeah. Lake of Luzerne. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's a beautiful place, and it kind of matches these kind of brandies. I'm glad some new people joined. Yeah, so welcome. Yes, welcome, everybody. We're, we're starting with uh, the Vieux-Kirsch. Uh, so over on the island, we have the samples all set up. Feel free to pour one if there's not one ready for you. Mm -hmm. But I think this would be a great time, Stefan, for you to uh, just you know give us some of the rundown of what we can expect from this particular product. Yeah, uh, okay. So the... Ovier product line is uh, actually an eau de vie, which is after two years that it's rested in the steel tanks, stainless steel tanks, it goes into oakwood casks, uh, Swiss oakwood, by the way, um, and it rests there between 14 to 18 months. And after it, the rest, it's, it's aged for the 14 to 18 months, we add, finally add a bonificateur, well, well, huh? that's the word. Uh, bonificateur to the product as a dosage, another French word. Um, so the bonificateur is actually a liqueur. It's a natural liqueur we produce, and we produce it from the eau de vie. Here would be kirsch, cherry eau de vie. We add sugar and we add dried cherries. So no chemicals, no artificial aromas. Pardon? Bonificateur, in English, B-O-N-F-E-C-T-E-U-R, <laughs> Bonificateur. Yep. Don't ask that three times. <laughs> yeah, don't ask three times, it's going to come out every time different. Now, so uh, it's a natural liqueur, as I mentioned, and we actually make this liqueur also in standing casks, uh, where we can open the lid, and where we can add the dry fruits and store the V and the sugar easily. And this uh, liqueur then is added at the end, the same way you would add a dosage to champagne uh, to this cask-aged eau de vie. You know, Stefan, explain one other thing, um, because most of these people weren't here when you were doing this pretty flower with the cheese, <laughs> you know. Yes, tell us so the story there's a of reason the for that particular <laughs> cheese, and there's a particular tool Stefan brought from Switzerland to create that. Mm -hmm. And I know Yelena wants to definitely know how that's made. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Explain the relationship with that cheese and the eau de vie 
and how that turns out. Lovely. That way. Okay, so the idea of of the cheese with the the vieille, this is actually in the glasses of vieille framboise. Uh, so raspberry, our aged raspberry liquor. The the idea is that uh, you have an ideal pairing between uh, savory and the fruitiness, slight sweetness of our liqueur. Saying liqueur, it has not got the quantity of sugar a normal liqueur would have. The minimum for a normal liqueur would be 100 grams, I think also in, here in the US, 100 grams of sugar per liter. Yeah, minimum. Minimum, yeah, the minimum, absolute yeah. minimum. So it's far below that amount, but uh, uh, as it's an order we, we or based on ODV, we have to call it liqueur. So, um, that's so the reason. what you didn't explain, so he has a little cheese board. Yeah. That, Sorry, yeah. That it's called a girol. You impale <laughs> your, your round cheese. On top of that goes this little blade that as you bring it around, it shaves a little layer of the cheese off. And as it shaves that off, it creates that flour. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, there it is. Yeah, back there. Actually, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll be doing demos so, <laughs> for over 40 years of selling Swiss eau de vie. That's the first time I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the cheese flour, but I just never thought, how do they make it? <laughs> so so one thing that I really like about the uh, the view Kirsch, uh, the first that we've tasted here mm -hmm. is that you really do get the, the note of the pits. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely, yeah. and you know, it's. I think when people think cherry here in the U.S., they think of a very different flavor than that nice, sweet, almondy, mm -hmm. nutty characteristic. You know, I certainly thinking about cocktails. I wouldn't bring a bottle of maraschino liqueur anywhere near this because there's so much flavor overlap mm. there. So you know, in in terms of you know, it's obviously a premium product. You're not necessarily throwing this into cocktails. But when when thinking about marriages of flavors, I, I think that that the nuttiness of the pits really comes through nicely. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm, um, by the way, we don't want to discourage the use of cocktails. Yeah. We definitely don't want to discourage. <laughs> using it in cocktails. And, and while that was a challenge over all the years that I've sold eau de vie, it's like in Europe, it's, or in especially Switzerland or part of, of Germany, you know, the, or Alsace, where these eau de vies are a real part of the cuisine, uh, people tend to finish the meal. It's a digestif. Yeah. You know, it's it just goes with, you know, after a dessert, you're done and you have a digestif like this. Uh, along the way, I never, I always wonder, you know, how come people are willing to pay $30 for certain vodkas and they're not willing to pay for an eau de vie and you need much less of this to create the flavor mm. and things. But that has really changed. So uh, I mean, we are seeing that people, you know, for, for one, people are willing to pay more than $8 for a cocktail these days. And so you can include ingredients that really make it special. Mm. So it's uh, it, I, I'm happy to see that happen, you know. But as you can see, they're really beautiful. The they are things you can drink yeah. straight. No, absolutely. Um, there's a renaissance actually in Europe uh, happening happening in Europe uh, that uh, most a lot of bartenders are using fruit spirits again in small quantities. This uh, the, the Vieille has got four, four eighty proof, forty volumes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's ideal because you just need a little bit to really give a cocktail a lovely fruity uh, taste. 
Yeah, it, it, this strikes me as something that you might add as as a float or as part of a split-based mm-hmm. cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like something that you can really get creative with. You so. can make a foam. Interesting you say split-based, because of course that's a real term for bartenders, mixologists. We have, I have found we get quite a few creative bartenders that combine Pisco and this, mm-hmm. right? Because, and, and, you know, which... Pisco's, Pisco, Pisco might even be a little more misunderstood than eau de vie, but Pisco is eau de vie of grapes, mm. you know, and it's fruit. And so it's a nice, and, you, and the, some of them are non-aromatic. So they really kind of enhance this without the expense of, because of course, berries are far more expensive than grapes. Mm. And, but a, a well-made Pisco helps carry this and really adds, works pretty well in, uh, in cocktails. And it's a great story to be able to tell old world, new world, mm. you know, collision in the glass. Uh, I think that's yeah. a fantastic idea. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. If you're a regular listener of the Modern Bar Cart podcast, you've heard me talk about Near Country quite a bit over the last year. And I have another exciting announcement. They've got cheese, guys. Not only do Adam and his team work with a bunch of awesome local farmers and fishermen here in the Mid-Atlantic to provide you with sustainably raised and delicious proteins, but they've upped the ante yet again, and they now offer delicious cheeses, cow's milk and sheep's milk cheeses that you can subscribe to on a monthly basis or You can just go ahead and add them to your cart as an add-on at any point. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. Becoming a Near Country Provisions subscriber is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. So I definitely want to encourage people to continue tasting here. The next one that we'll be tasting is the Eau de Vie Williams, which is the unaged uh, pear Eau de Vie. Mm-hmm. Williams, when I, when I see Williams, I think of a very specific product with a very specific brand mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, is the, why do you call this product Eau de Vie Williams? Because actually this is the Williams pear. Uh, the Williams pear comes from the French part of the Valleys, really, uh, the French part of Switzerland. It's very well renowned for the pears they produce. Um, I, for me, they're the real, the, the best pears you can have because from, from the aroma, from the juiciness, uh, from the bite, it's got a nice bite. Uh, it gets ripe and it gets really juicy. And you have uh, sa- uh, the sour notes and you have the sweet notes. It's really uh, exceptional. Is it, is it correct to say that the uh, Williams pear is the same family as what over here in America we know as the Bartlett pear? That's a good question. I think I it is. Could, I think it is in the same family, the Bartlett Williams. I would but, have to look that up. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. Bartlett people know. Mm-hmm. They're okay. very, very juicy. Yeah. Mm. The high sugar content once they mature. Mm-hmm. So, so it, to go from green into yellow yes, to brown. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that, that would be like uh, the Williams pear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sure. So, I mean, one of the things that's that's striking me here is that we have, even just going through the first two types of fruits, we've got the cherries from the Rigi region, and we've got pears from the, the Williams region. Is this regionality something that makes the Fosbin portfolio special, right? Because one of the one of the big questions hanging in the air for me is what makes Swiss eau de vie from the part of the world or the tradition that Fosbind embodies different from eau de vie that I'm going to find somewhere else, like the Pisco that Henry was just mm. mentioning. Well, with Fosbind, what, what I can say is, we, are, as, as you mentioned, we are the oldest distillery uh, in Switzerland. We were founded 1846, so we are 176 years old. And we've uh, kept up the tradition of distilling from those times to this day. The people we work with, the farmers we work with, the fruit farmers, they have long-standing contracts, uh, sometimes over generations, uh, delivering their fruit. We only work with Swiss fruit, and it's high-quality Swiss fruit, um, which you might not find always find in supermarkets because it's old types of uh, fruit, which uh, is ideal for distilling. Sadly, the consumers nowadays, they, they want uh, nice-looking fruits. They want uh, a fruit which is uh, the apples to be more or less all the same size and shape. Carrots have to be straight. They can't be crooked and so on. So that's a bit of a problem because all those, fruit, uh, all those fruits are manipulated at a certain point. And they look nice, but they don't have the aromas and flavors. And uh, the fruit we work with is... Uh, from old fruit trees, and they have uh, a much better aroma. They are lovely fruit, which I'm sure if we had a fruit bowl here, everyone would pick a fruit and, and eat and enjoy it. But it's not a fruit you would buy in a supermarket. So we're actually protecting the environment by buying this fruit from the farmers, because if we wouldn't buy it, yeah, the, the farmers would have to cut down the trees and uh, start planting those mini fruit trees that grow up to um, two meters height, and that's it, so to pick from the floor. Yeah, and, and again, all the different fruit brandies, depending where they come from, be that Germany, be that France, be that, you know, uh, Switzerland and things. So you look at it like you would, uh, you know, wine grapes from different parts of the world. They're, you know, they're, they've got a different soil condition, different weather condition, uh, and then you add to that um, not everybody uses exactly the same kind of stills. Some people, mm -hmm. some distillers buy commercial stills that are professionally perfect. But a lot of distillers like Fussman, those stills go back far enough that there was total involvement. This is how I want my still to be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you go in and you work with the, the still makers of, you know, what you're looking for. And so along the way, as they wear out, they get the parts replaced identically the same way so mm -hmm. that you're not suddenly going, wow, that took a different flavor path yeah. and things. And, uh, and, and so these are really delicate fruits and they're really delicate flavors. And so they're some of the most complex products to produce. And they're really a good, I mean, another good question that we haven't covered here yet is how many pounds of fruit go into <laughs> a cherry or a raspberry mm, or, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, let's say pear. Um, I would say kilos, so right? Yeah, Whatever kilos. It it's easier for me. Uh, so, yeah, so, so kilos, so 100 two, kilos. 100 kilos, right, is... Uh, 220 two, pounds? 220 pounds. Uh, approximately. Um, so 100 kilos, you will have uh, approximately 
five and a half liters of pure alcohol, 100% alcohol. So that's one case of fast bins. Uh, is 100 so kilos of fruit. 220 pounds of fruit. Okay. And that case doesn't weigh 120 pounds. No, no, 220 no, no. pounds. <laughs> it weighs 50 pounds yeah. with glass. Yeah, yeah, with glass, yeah. with glass, yeah. yeah. Well, well, that brings up a, another thing that I'm kind of interested in here, because when I think of eau de vie, I think of uh, especially the unaged eau de vie as, uh, as an exercise in purity of your taking it's almost like you're going up to the tree, you're grabbing this beautiful mm -hmm. pear, you're passing it through a still, and what you're trying to capture is the true essence of that fruit. How do you think about the difference between purity and complexity in your products? Because that's also something that drinkers and bartenders want. They want complex spirits. Mm -hmm. So it, how do you think about that yourself? And maybe are there any process besides, it seems like the, the aging for two years in stainless steel is something that you do is- The resting. Mm -hmm. the, the, the resting mm -hmm. is, is really important to kind mm -hmm. of striking that balance between purity and complexity. Yep. But is there any anything any other ways that you think about that or process points that you'd want to share on that note? Well, it's uh, one of the important, very important parts is of course, um, getting the right points of, uh, you know, separating the head from the heart and the tail. So uh, with us, uh, we start at the heart um, is a very small part of the whole distillation. Distillation process taking uh, approximately three hours. So we have one distillation process from the beginning to the end, takes three hours, uh, which means uh, we can distill 350 kilos times two, we've got a twin still. So uh, we can do three rounds of distillation per day. We take our time, we could do it much faster. Our uh, distillation master uh, could just turn up the heat and, you know, get it really done really fast, but then you lose aromas, mm -hmm. uh, you lose quality. So the, the real trick is doing it slow and separating at the right time. Mm. Any, any thoughts on this or any questions, Adam? You mentioned double distilling. I mean, website, many of your spirits are double distilled. Yes. Can you just go deeper on what the benefit of that is um, you know, to the point of how much volume of fruit are you losing volume in the second distillation at the same rate as the first? Just why, why is that part of your process? Uh, that, that's a very good question. And um, uh, it is to make the spirit finer. So you lose a little bit of aroma Sometimes I have to smile uh, when you see vodkas which uh, show they've been distilled seven or nine times so that then you're really drinking pure alcohol because it's a column still anyway. With us, it's the second distillation makes the spirit really, the fruit ought to be really fine. I think you saw it now by tasting this product, the pear. It is mellow. You have a lovely feeling uh, when you drink it. It's not um, in any at any time does it uh, irritate its very fine spirit. So the second distillation is very important to make a fine spirit, but you lose approximately 40%. So those five and a half liters drop to 3.5 liters if it's an ordinary from the 220 pounds of fruit. So that I believe uh, also shows why it has the price it has. So next time you hear a whiskey distiller complaining about the price <laughs> of grain, mm. 
uh, this is this is on a whole other yeah. level, and it's by choice, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's always the thing that struck me about really beautiful Odivi. I don't know if Henry, if you feel the same way, it's just like it's a it's an intentional sacrifice. You know what exactly how much alcohol you're sacrificing by making yeah. these process decisions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a tradition thing mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, and you know, like you said, I mean, and you know, you get into parts of Russia or parts of the U.S., we have copious amounts of grain. Mm. And probably little known is that the United States is the largest producer of grain-neutral alcohol. In fact, we produce so much grain-neutral alcohol, we export to Russia. Mm. Not at the moment. But but it it is a very true (laughs) fact that Archer Daniel Midlands has so much ethanol, it can't all be used here. And... uh, that's very different with fruit. You know, we all know that, you know, fruits are subject to hail, not enough sunshine, too much rain, too little mm. rain, and all those things. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's not so much as a sacrifice, as it's something really special. And the term, uh, you know, we've been saying here a lot, eau de vie, water of life, mm. right? And, you know, they use it in many places. It's uskiba in, uh, in Scotland and, you know, and it's about the clear distillate. But to me, the greatest meaning of that, again, always relates back to this kind of product of capturing those really delicate, delicate, delicate aromas. Yeah. And, and there's also one other thing we haven't brought up here is you've got two types of fruits that get used. You've got fruits that have sugar and will ferment, and you've got berries that do not, you know, raspberries, mm-hmm. strawberries, blackberries, blueberry. They do not have enough sugar to ferment. You do have to use an alcohol starter. So you've got your maceration of your fruit. Mm-hmm. It goes into the still. And then even more so the skill of the distiller to draw out that berry's flavor. And, things. and you'll notice that in a lot of places, um, we're not going to mention countries or anything, but they're allowed to sugar that must. Mm. You know, they're not allowed to do that in Switzerland. Nope. And you know yourself, if you sprinkle sugar on strawberries or anything, the flavor is more intense. And so it is, again, not that kind of purity that you were just bringing Mm. up. So we're really dealing, you know, when you get into a product like Fuspin, you're dealing at the highest level available in fruit distillate. Mm. Yeah. Well, so now that we know we've got the unaged Odiv Williams. We we also have its aged counterpart mm-hmm. available, so that's that's up on the island for anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to grab that. Um, now you mentioned earlier this wonderful term bonificateur. Um, Sounds like you're having fun with it. I, it's, <laughs> I, I, I have zero French left, but I can still pronounce it. I don't know what any of it means. Um, but uh, does the the aged pear brandy also use a bonificateur? Yeah, all our yeah, sorry, yeah, all our VA products uh, use a bonificateur or receive a bonificateur. Yeah. So when you were talking about the the cherry, mm-hmm. you said that it was comprised of some brandy, some sugar, some dried cherries. Yep. What's the difference between that and, and what you use for the pear? Is it dried pear or yep. slices uh, dried pears? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, with the raspberries, that's freeze dry because uh, otherwise it would just be be mush. You sure. Know, you know, it would just disappear if you dry it. Uh, just 
openly dry a, a, a raspberry, <laughs> it will end up being two millimeters <laughs> big and very black and horrible. So uh, we freeze dry those, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, the difference that we're going to see between the O to V pair and then the, the aged expression. How, what are the differences? What are you going for in terms of flavor? And mm. how should we think about using these or tasting these? Yeah, okay. So uh, with, with the William, ODV Williams, uh, for me, that's uh, when you imagine a, a Williams pear, which is ripe, but towards the neck, it's still a bit green. Mm. So when you bite into it, it's really got a nice bite. It's got a little juice. It's got uh, sweetness, but at the same time, it's got a bit of acidity. Okay. But uh, it's really nice. It's already nice to eat. Now, with the Vieille uh, Poivre, you have a fruit which is perfectly ripe. So you have a beautifully yellow Williams pear, and you bite into it, and it's really juicy. There's no acidity. It's gone because it's really ripe, so all the acidity has turned into sugar. And it's really sweet, juicy, mellow, and you just bite into it and go, you know, sucking up all those juices, <laughs> not to dribble. So that's what I see or feel when I drink Cuvier Quach. By the way, they're awesome over fruit salad. You, like, mm. you cut up your fruit, you put, you know, a few ounces over your fruit salad, you put it in the fridge every couple hours, you go in, you turn it a few times, and one to two to three days later, I just blow your mind. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's so good. And no matter how much you make, it's gone like that when you bring it out. <laughs> well, I love the way you explain that because to me, that was a light bulb moment for me of the complexity purity question of like, well, they're both very pure expressions. It's just different life stages of the pear. The pear mm -hmm. at its freshest and, you know, most, I guess, like fruity and you know picked straight from the tree versus the pear that's had a few days to ripen mm -hmm. and is truly at its juiciest and most succulent mm -hmm. and i love that i think it's a perfect way to explain the difference between those two bottles thank you <laughs> yeah we do have two more products that we'd love you to sample these are both going to be raspberry uh spirits we've got the um oh we've got three actually we've got a uh, an aged apricot at the end we uh, so the next two we're sampling the eau de vie uh Hamburgist. Himbergeist. Himbergeist, sorry. Mine sounded more like a burger. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually the, the difference that uh, Henry mentioned between a fruit which is picked and then we ferment and then we desolate, or a fruit which is picked, then put into pure drinking alcohol, so it's moderated and then it's distillated. So in Switzerland, Germany, Europe, uh, it's if you see Geist, it's a fruit which has been macerated and then distilled. Yeah, okay. so Geist, Geist means ghost. Yeah. Or you'll see, depending on the country, no, I don't think so much in Switzerland, they don't say Wasser, do they? They don't say uh, no, they don't say Wasser. No, that's German. That's, that's German. That's German, German, it's yeah. really easy on, on yeah. the O because they'll say Kirschwasser, cherry brandy, and Wasser, right? If it's a Wasser, it's a fruit that ferments. If it's a Geist, it doesn't ferment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's, it just has to be a different process. 
and you have to put it on the label because uh, oh, the, yeah. the people have to know that, that there's a difference, but most people don't know. So uh, uh, usually if we have visitors at the distillery, that's one of the big questions, or one of the first questions I ask is, do you know the difference between brand and Geist? And most people don't, so it's a very important, um, uh, knowledgeable thing to know. Yeah. So when you were talking about the fermentation, it was it, I, I really liked that you specified that you do a natural fermentation, but it's a natural and controlled fermentation. Absolutely, yeah. So now that we're talking about something that is not fermented, that is macerated, mm -hmm. how do you exert that type of control on the maceration? Do you macerate at a certain proof that really brings out the qualities of the berries? Uh, how, do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the alcohol we use is uh, nearly 100%. It's, I think it's 98%. I'm not quite, not quite sure, but I think it's 98%. Um, and so it has no aroma, no aroma. That's very important, but it's a drinking alcohol. And uh, the purity actually, it, it sucks out, the alcohol sucks out the aromas out of the berries and very fast. So that um, the pips you have with the berries, uh, which uh, if you look at the, the fruit, you see that, I always think it's very odd because the fruit looks as if, the, the pips look as if they've been lacquered. Oh. Actually, they're very shiny, nice and shiny. So uh, when you macerate, this lacquer doesn't get attacked. And if you would ferment such a fruit, then the lacquer would be attacked and you have, uh, in my opinion, tastes which aren't very... It tastes a bit like uh, wet um, or moist uh, forest floor, mm -hmm. leaves, uh, moist leaves and so on. It doesn't smell or very organic. Nice. Very organic, very earthy, uh, which uh, I... I don't want, for me, I don't want in a fruit spirit. So by maceration, you have uh, a very clean, nice fruit spirit. That's fascinating. Does the color get drained from them at all? Uh, yes, as well. Yeah, the color gets drained. But of course, fruit distillation, it's white. Sure, end, yeah. sure. I, just, I know, I know <laughs> that white, uh, something's wrong. <laughs> I know that in, in, in what I do when I make bitters, when I stick orange peel, for mm -hmm. example, in a high proof alcohol, it comes out and you can snap it like crispy bacon mm -hmm. and the, the color drains from certain things. Yeah, so yeah. I was imagining the same thing, mm -hmm. knowing that you're using such high proof spirits. So we, we know that this is different from the other two eau de vie in, in that way. Do you still exert the same? I'm guessing you still do the two years of resting. Always. And for the same reason. Always. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Always. It's a principle. From from the start, uh, when, when the distillery started, that was one of the principles that was set up. So I would say out of all of the products that we've tasted thus far, mm -hmm. and probably including the apricot, the, the framboise, the, the raspberry spirits are probably going to be the ones that bartenders haven't really had the opportunity to use much. Uh, and probably a lot of American consumers might not have experienced from American distilleries. Mm. How would you think about using this either behind a bar or, you know, how, how, what, what are the selling points of this essentially? Maybe Henry, this is a good question for you. Yeah, that's a good question because I don't have an answer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's actually, interestingly enough, Frambois is one of the best selling eau de vies. Hmm. And I think one thing people do understand is that raspberries are delicate. And, you know, we know they're fragile, right? You're not going to buy five pounds of raspberries if you're not going to use them that day because they don't hold up very long. So it's, I, you know, I'm not positive how people are using the raspberry. They're more familiar with Kirsch because there's, there is low cost American Kirsch that is 
probably neutral alcohol with Kirsch essence or cherry essence and things. I think, you know, Reagan might have an answer. He's a bartender. <laughs> yeah. I guess not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you see any of the bars that you've been at or worked at? Does anybody use a framboise in, uh, in cocktails or anything? Reagan was a little bit outside of our mic range, but essentially he made the point that a lot of fruit distillates and liqueurs have gone out of style in the bartending world because there's not a lot of choice in the category, which means that bartenders have largely kind of gotten bored and moved on. Yeah, so we do sell them well, so they're going someplace, you know, <laughs> but uh, they might just be going into people enjoying them, digestif after a meal, mm. something. But I think, you know, what uh, the dynamic that changes for us with this brand is the, the Via Frambois. Mm. So, you know, liqueurs yeah. people understand, and when they taste this, they immediately say, well, I've never tasted a liqueur like that, you know, because it's that there is no other liqueur like that. It isn't a lot of sugar. And, you know, it's a very little sugar and a lot of intensity of fruit. And so when, when Stefan introduced us to the VA range, I go, oh, that's a great stepping stone. People that would never have bought an O to V taste that and suddenly go, wow, that's amazing. You know, and, and it kind of helps them slide into an O to V. You know, so it's, uh, you know, I think that's for us as a company, that's where we come from. You know, we are about getting products to people that other people don't want to bother with. You know, people really, there are not very many importers of O to V. And, uh, you know, it really breaks down to very few companies, you know. And when it comes into high, there used to be other Swiss O to V's in the market. They've kind of dwindled down, you know. Some of them, um, it's the one, the, the Detling. Detling. Mm. When I started in this business in 1970, Every decent liquor store had that Linkersh. I don't know if you can find it today. Yeah, the, the, the actual distillery closed down. Oh, there you so go. So there's, there's a, another distiller producing that Ling, and they've got a lot, they had a lot of stock. So they were very specialized in, in different types of cherries they were using. Uh, so you had like, I think, five or six different cherry types. It was, was really impressive. But uh, yeah, uh, the problem is it was very expensive, very exclusive, and... Um, yeah, if you don't go with the wave, then uh, you sort of drown. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and that yeah. always comes full circle to what we like to do. We like to sell experiences, mm -hmm. and we like to have those kind of products. Not everything's at this level. You know, not everybody can afford this level. It's not an expensive product, you know, but uh, for those that can, it's also not crazy expensive and i guess what a lot of people say about products like this in the liquor business is it's an affordable luxury because i've i've had people that would call and say oh henry you know we're gonna we're getting they're just friends we're getting together what should we get that's unusual we're gonna have a poker night tonight we want to have two bottles or something what should we go buy you know and it could be certain single malls it could be something like this it could be something special that you normally don't buy and then you try it and then you share it and then word of mouth and mm. uh, I've really noticed um, with this line, what are we in our third year now? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. slow. I think the first year and a half, we worked on the first small shipment. And yeah. now the momentum's pick it up and we have a hard time mm. keeping it in stock. Mm. You know, so based on how much we're ordering, 
you know, so that's, you know, it's, it's like baby steps and then it's up and down and up and down. And then we start finding kind of a, a plane from where we're comfortable to carry a lot more of the product and things. And uh, so this is, you know, this is something for the better stores, for the aficionados. I mean, I really do think that it, it falls into her, you know, great single malt whiskeys, not that it tastes like that, but great single malt whiskeys, great Armagnac, great O to V, you know, these are the kind of things that are for those people that are, you know, kind of look for the best of something. The raspberry uh, O to V is absolutely, I would say, my favorite of, of mm. everything that, that we're I tasting I think that's here. why well, we probably sell more of it than yeah. anything else. Uh, yeah. Actually, the, 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 the welcome drink you made has two components, really. Uh, so it was the the raspberry also the vieille it, it was the uh the vieille framboise yep. Vieille framboise. yep so so yeah uh, since we're since we're the next thing we're going to taste is the the vieille framboise mm -hmm. the aged <laughs> expression of that raspberry the welcome drink was uh, basically what i did is i put together you know like uh one part of the spirit maybe a part and a half of a hibiscus tea so a little bit of tanginess without actually having to add an acid in there and then we just threw in, you know, like maybe three, four parts tonic over ice and topped it up with a couple of dashes of orange bitters. So it's sitting somewhere right between uh, spirit and tonic and a spritz, mm. you know. So um, the, the spirits really are very flexible. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that based on the feedback we got from a bartender, what Henry was saying, I think there's a really open open field here of like if, and if, if you want to get creative with this as a split base or as a float or as just a little, little, you know, quarter ounce pour that you can add to a cocktail mm. to make it something that nobody else in your city or your market is putting out there on their menu. I think that's a completely valid way to think about some of this stuff. And it's a great way to price your way into your first bottle. Right. By the way, but what, uh, what Eric's saying, what is awesome with this is you, Take a little bit of the uh, the VA Frambois, you know, and you put it as your base for your bourbon instead mm. of an old fashioned with, you know, and mm. I actually got that from my daughter because she used an apricot liqueur we get out of Austria. Once that happened, I quit using other stuff. And, and then, you know, I've used some of the Fussman I have at home and bourbon's that interesting kind of sweet whiskey that just gets enhanced by something like this and it just makes a whole different kind of cocktail that mm. just you know you don't lose the quality of a good bourbon and you don't bury the quality of the eau de vie true in that drink and so it's it's really it's pretty versatile and uh, you know it's just a matter of playing around with it which i know you're going to do <laughs> do you use it in lieu of bourbon or in addition to bourbon I, a little bit and you know like like, uh, like, like you make an old-fashioned like, like monte carlo um, Death & Co. has like a Monte Carlo riff on their menu with Mezcal, the Perro, Divi, and Chartreuse. Oh, like mm. I'll have to try so that next time. I'll be in New York in September. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Tastes good. I like that we're getting some of this, like little, a little bit of back and forth from the bartenders here. I can see the wheels turning. So I'd love to, I would love to hear your thoughts afterwards. I know Stefan and Henry would love to hear your thoughts on how you mm. might be incorporating this stuff into cocktails. So Very please, much. please share your ideas. I know Stefan on your website, you do have some cocktails listed. So when you click, this is a wonderful website, by the way, this is the way that all spirit websites should be in terms of the way that you convey okay. the information. The transparency is excellent. You just click a little drop down and it shows you everything about 
the spirit. It's mm -hmm. all completely transparent and you have lots of great info about everything from, you know, the sourcing of the fruit to the cocktails that you can use it in. So please, this is actually a website you should check out. Uh, it is worth your time 100%. Uh, but would you, uh, before we maybe take a few questions, just introduce us to the, the apricot. Yes, with pleasure. Um, just to mention, by the way, uh, today the Himbergeist uh, won its uh, a silver medal at the first tells of the cocktail, uh, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so uh, we're very pleased with that. Yeah, but we apricot. So uh, this is uh, a very special apricot. Uh, it comes also from the Valis. Uh, it's a very old, ancient uh, fruit type. Uh, it's a Royal Louisette. And um, it's um, a fruit, an apricot, which hasn't got much fruit as such. So it isn't a, a big apricot, but the fruit is very intense in aroma. That's so, the perfect one to go into yeah, that bourbon. So, yeah, so for me, it's really, of all the Vies, it's my favorite. Mm, awesome. Absolutely my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's my son's favorite, too. Oh. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. That's what he asked for yeah. for his birthday. <laughs> yeah. And I have a set of the Fosfin VAs. <laughs> you know, one of the, if, since we're talking about use cases here, one of the things that just struck me is um, that a lot of very pre prohibition cocktails call for like apricot brandy mm -hmm. or, you know, stone fruit brandies or, uh, mm -hmm. and really what that means, it's, it's perfectly obscure because it's not a brandy. There's no such thing as like a, a clear distillate of that made in the U.S. or that was being made in the U.S. at that time. What it's referring to really is something that came onto the shelves in the 20th century that was sweetened, artificially flavored. And so when you come across these pre-prohibition recipes, you were confronted with the issue of not being able to recreate what was actually meant. <laughs> but now we have this wonderful portfolio of, you know, lightly sweetened mm -hmm. fruit yep. distillates. And what do bartenders love to do? They love a product that gives them more flexibility. And in this case, less sugar equals more flexibility because mm -hmm. bartenders, and you guys can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but you can always find your own ways to add more sugar to balance something. Absolutely. But if it's already in that bottle that you buy from the distributor, you can't take it out. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, see this as true. like a really great opportunity to go and revisit some of those uh, apricot mm -hmm. brandy yeah. pre-prohibition mm -hmm. cocktails. So mm -hmm. just another thought. Yeah, and the one you're talking about is Mr. Boston Cocktail Book. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and that apricot brandy, there was a zinger, man. That was like, you know, 400 grams of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and who yeah. knows where the apricot came from, but very um, different. This was a lot of wonderful spirits. Uh, I want to thank you, Stefan, for being a tremendous guide for just absolutely demolishing those cheese and making it into this beautiful delicate flowers with your with your swinging blade um and uh, i want to thank you henry for for sponsoring this hosting everybody here do we have any anybody have any questions that we want to ask of course you can you know come and mingle but if anybody want to ask anything now before we wrap things up here well i think we answered every question that we could possibly have so with that, Henry, Stefan, thank you. Cheers to you. And uh, cheers to uh, the rest of a great Tales of the Cocktail 2022. Thank you.
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here. And by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. Eau de Vie tastings and insights courtesy of Stefan Kopp of Fassbind Eau de Vie and Henry Price, founder and CEO of Price Imports and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production copyright 2022.